Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America coming to us from Puerto Rico. Jay Truitt, again, on Across the Pond version, and Andrew Henderson in the UK, happy about the reduction in taxes this day. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and it, it coincides with our reduction in streaming trend. Yes, it does. Yeah, go ahead, Trent. Make your confession now. You got scolded. You I got, got scolded for talking about taxing tampons and YouTube's not streaming me anymore. I think I'll cry. Anyway, all right. Um, well, here we are. Gonna, we're gonna we're gonna start with good news, Andrew. Yeah. And then who knows where we'll go. But Jay Truett is giving us an analysis of what our friend Greg Dowd accomplished as the yeah. ag negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative's mm-hmm. office. And China is now buying stuff. Right. Have you seen the report, Jay? Tons, tons of stuff. And I, I mean, before we even go through that, one of the interesting things, I mean, you of all people know that I track uh, ag products and trade like a hawk, right? Mm-hmm. I try to look at it constantly and pay attention to what's really in the reports and what and what people, you know, because everybody always tries to do these comparisons to say, oh, well, it's not as good as whatever, right. and they'll look intentionally for the for the one area where the agreement might be weak, or maybe just the market demand didn't exist for a particular year, or the dollar value was off or something. And they'll, they'll focus on that like a laser beam and ignore that the rest of the tree is growing by leaps and bounds and that we set records almost across the board. And the way the traditional media repeated, uh, reported on that, on what happened in phase one of China was that China fell short by 34%. Of their obligation, <laughs> despite the fact that it yeah. was a record, it was the record year for pork, for beef, for tree nuts, for uh, uh, making new deals on cotton that are going to come about in 2021. Um, for soy, wheat, for, soy, don't uh, leave soy out of the good grief, right? And so, and that added, and when you look at those trade numbers, right, that are in, in, in the reports that are now out of USTR. So uh, what I started to say was, so I called some of the folks that are now at USTR um, and, and, and we're asking them, you know, so what is the next step for you? How do you hold their feet to the fire? What are you going to do? You know, et cetera. And it was just an, uh, a pleasant conversation. And as you mentioned, um, they openly acknowledge that Greg Dowd did this, right? I mean, and that Mr. Lighthizer did it. And and again, without really saying it in real clear terms, they seem to be pretty uh, pretty complimentary of the deal that got done, right? And this is the deal. Remember, this is the deal that even people in agriculture, including the authors of the report that you're talking about that made it out, some of the authors of that report were uber critical of the Trump administration for taking on this battle. And we did have a one, we did have one really bad export year that occurred as a result of this tariff battle. True. Everybody acknowledges and understands that we had a second year that there was still some lag from that. We also had 
dollar values changing and world supply demand issues that, you know, that complicated all of that. But in the, but at the end of the day, when you go down through and you just look, you just look at what, what that agreement shows, there's, so first of all, we're looking at a record amount of nominal, um, nominal dollar values that we sent out. We ended up, let me look at the list real quick here so that I can get this exactly right. We did $2.1 billion worth of pork record. Poultry, 761 million record. Nuts, 705 million record. 445 million in hay, near record. Beef, 304 million, big record. They, we never really sold them beef no. before. Peanuts, 239 million. Uh, pulse crops, 51 million. And uh, again, in some cases, we're talking about that we were 693%, 693% above what had been the previous established normal trade between the two countries. And more importantly, if you're a, if you're a Texas person and you're thawing out today, right, they're still trying to sell their 29, some of their 2019 cotton crop and most of the 2020 cotton crop. Well, a bunch of that is going to end up going to China uh, already on, on commitments that are coming in for 21. And, you know, I think it is, it, Trade may be the one place that people inside the game in government um, that are really doing the actual negotiating. I don't mean the political people that are that are assigned to it or the committees and all of the, the other noise that you hear in D.C., but the actual negotiators will be honest usually about what's happening. The current the current U.S. trade representative believes that they did a pretty good job on China. And that there's not much that needs to be done other than to keep doing what was done. I doubt Biden himself will be as stout as what Mr. Trump was. Yeah. Um, um, Jay, let me ask you a question about that. Who is the current U.S. trade representative? Because we've not had confirmation hearings on that. How does that work? Well, no, it, well, she's still in an acting role uh, at this point. Um, but she comes from the House, the House Way, <clears throat> excuse me, House Ways and Means Committee. And you know, um, she's had a lot of experience negotiating with people uh, on Asian trade. Now, not so much on China, mm-hmm. but if you remember here about um, uh, about five years after the the whole BSE event in the United States, we went back and tried to reopen some additional markets. So you had South Korea. We tried to renegotiate Japan again uh, on beef. Uh, and that was kind of at the end of my tenure with the cattlemen. Um, but she was the staffer on Capitol Hill that uh, that really helped us on the Democrat side of the aisle uh, um, just about as much as anybody could. Jay, Andrew's never spent six minutes saying nothing. He's got to be bursting at the seams. No, I, I, okay. I think it, when, when you, let, you have to listen to that and think that was just a tirade of good news. Yeah, but I can't. It is. I can't help. I can't help thinking though that from what I'm seeing, how long before the EO comes to reverse whatever was agreed completely? How long before Mr. Biden uh, completely reverses whatever Trump did? Because that seems to be his policy. Yeah, when that's that the no. That's the shoe that'll fall, and I and sadly, I don't even think he has to do it through executive order. Um, the that that tariff rate conversation is 
China's going to violate this deal, right? I mean, it's a, they're eventually going to they're eventually going to break the deal. They always do. They always have. The difference was last year, which meant this year's sales. They knew that they had to do it, knowing that Trump was going to just rail on. Now we'll see. We'll see what happens as we move on. Mr. Biden really doesn't get to get get to take over trade from a from a result standpoint. It's like the fourth quarter of this year, and in the next year is when it starts showing up whatever he's going to do. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm scared to death of how that turns out because I don't think. Uh, and listen, this is not just about Trump. I it was the thing that disappointed me the most about the Bush administration the most about the Obama administration and and to a certain degree, the most about the Clinton administration was exactly the same factor that um, the, the concept that if you break a deal that we all agree to and we're keeping our side of the bargain and you aren't, that the tariff rates are going up. We're going to penalize you. You're going to have to pay a penalty. And instead we get all this real tough talk from presidents in the past. Donald Trump was the first president in a long, long time that really used punitive penalties. Uh, I mean, really penalized him. Went up the maximum that he thought was was practical without really causing great harm to do that. I don't think um, Joe Biden will will be the same. That's not the trade representative that does that, though. That comes out of the White House. Right. Uh, so, 45 seconds, Andrew. Go ahead. No, I, I, I'm, I, I, you know, we said yesterday, let's bring some good news and we're mm-hmm. hearing it. And to be fair, um, I can see what a great bit of statement, statesmanship that was. And um, there are the results, black and white. Yeah. Nobody can argue with them. And, and you know, uh, you know, when, when let's go into the next segment and look at what mm-hmm. your media is saying about the person that orchestrated that. Well, I might just remind everybody that even the ag commodity groups were critical of the approach. And I wonder now if any of them are going to say, oh, we were wrong. This was the right way to go. We'll find out. Lone Creek Cattle Company has one way to go for cattlemen, and that is to be more profitable utilizing the Piedmontese breed of cattle. You achieve the myostatin gene. You get the, the bulls have two copies of the myostatin gene. That ensures that your calves will have one copy. That means that the beef is more tender. There's a long reason, but I'll, we'll give that to you later. What it means for you is that you get a premium of $180 per head over market price. Details from Marlon Will at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. More roll out after this. Welcome back. Roll out Trent Lewis alongside Andrew Henderson, Jay Truitt across the pond every Tuesday. Jay, I've got one question and then we'll just let this go where it may. Okay. Uh, you and I were both in contact with Sir Greg Dowd as mm-hmm. this was taking place. I remember getting a phone call from Greg at like 5.30 and he was just on a Thursday. I don't remember the day of the week. Like at 5.30 evening, he was just irate. These crooks, you're never going to get anything done with them. And just, I'd never seen Greg Dowd like this. Right. And he was the day before the deal signed. And yeah. he thought, there's no way we're going to get this done. And I got a, that evening, I got a call from uh, Ron Prestige. And he said, well, I hear we're going to get our China deal tomorrow. I said, oh, no, I just talked to Greg. He said that these people, are they've never been farther apart. And he said, no, my guy on the inside of China says they always put up a big front before they do the deal. 
they did the deal the next day. It's just the way they play the game. But what I never understood in my question, and, and I, we need to ask Greg this, they knew they were going to have some role in the upcoming election. Why did they actually agree to this when in reality they didn't have to? No, I think so. I do think let's all, let's be fair too about what some of those numbers that we talked about before, right? What they really represent. Mm-hmm. So we all know, or I think people in agriculture know that um, China had African swine fever. Uh, maybe the big lie there was how many how many pigs did they really end up having to kill, right? And mm-hmm. uh, their numbers said twenty five percent initially. Uh, there's the uniform idea that maybe a half the hogs in the country died. And, uh, I had people talking to me about numbers that were closer to 70% of the yep. hogs that actually had to be destroyed in the country. And so add that together, the country eats pork, right? They are by far and away, they dwarf the whole rest of the world's pork production just themselves. Um, we're, we're a flea on the back of China's pork capacity. And so, of course, um, uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff to flow in the pipeline. I don't expect that to stay. Sadly, now the U.S. is going to face a, probably a problem on hook space at some point, right, based on the fact that um, we've geared up production um, here to meet a new demand that may not be quite as consistent as what uh, we'd like for it to be. But that's that's kind of a different discussion. The other thing that happened was, um, the dollar uh, dropping in value a little bit against their currency and against several other currencies as well. Um, that's why Andrew's pay has gone down dramatically. He doesn't realize it, but he just can't get as much money out of you as he used to. And and so I'm going to start paying him. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> it's good for us, though, no, no, Andrew. No, no, no. First of all, what money? What money? <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting paid. No, 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 no. Oh no. And one, and one more, one more, one more. Actually, uh, my pound since um, uh, we left the uh, the uh, European Union uh, quango has increased in value and it's got far more purchasing power than it had a year ago. For example, yeah. I was getting one twenty five to the dollar. I can't wait to go to the United States. I'm going to get one forty now. So yeah. my wages haven't gone down at all. Well, well, that's an advantage for you buying food, I, but it's not an I, advantage for you selling anything. Yeah. Well, our, right. our sales to China on pork are record because of exactly what uh, Jay just described. But also, just remember this: that um, we it's it's cheaper for uh, the European. Our pound buys more abroad. Okay, it buys more mm-hmm. abroad. So you're saying that makes it more difficult for us to export. But no, because while we were in the European Union the protectionist quango mafioso whatever you want to call it most of our tariffs on food were anywhere between 20 and 60 percent and liz truss our new uh, trade minister we have apart from boris we have got a very forthright trading uh, arm at the moment and we've negotiated 60 six zero new zero trade deals with countries from the rest of the world the only one that's letting us down, the most important one of all, is um, Beijing Biden coming into <laughs> office and taking and taking it, taking a free trade deal away from the UK and the US because of his Irish roots, and he's trying yeah. to use it as some form of weapon to get us to go and get back into the European 
great you, reset. You, you cut out there. You almost sound like you said Beijing Biden. I did say Beijing Biden. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you could call him EU Biden as well if you want. Both. At the age, because I will tell you this, that uh, it's phenomenal nice. what we're seeing happening from our side of the pond. And you've only got to look at how the Australians are seeing you at the moment. Yeah. They are beside themselves. I know. Um, yeah. and, and at the end of the day, you've actually got a president that's gone on this town hall uh, chats and saying things that are ju- everybody's just looking and saying, you know, never mind Trump. He's Trumping Trump. Yeah. Trump. Trump. And it is, it is kind do. of funny. It is kind of funny that Trent still can't get on the Internet. Right. I mean, because he's a real person and uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't get on because I'm a minority. Um, and here we are yet. We're live. Yeah. Um, broadcasting <clears throat> people all over. Except um, speaking of Australians, Jay, I want you to weigh in on this, because last week I brought up the fact that while everybody was distracted with impeachments and uh, capital riots, we had two individuals in the House introduce a bill to ban the importation of kangaroo meat and leather because they consider the practice to be inhumane and cruel. If you study the protocol and I've been to Australia and I've looked at the protocol, there is nothing more precise than these government hunters that actually harvest a kangaroo with one shot. I I think for all of agriculture, this particular bill, which nobody's paying attention to, but me and Andrew has dire consequences if we don't get on top of it. Yeah, that's one of them I miss. But in my travels in Australia, um, you can't you can't kill enough of them, right? I mean, they're kind of like white-tailed deer and wild hogs. They're 50 million in Australia right now. They're they're 50 million. And you drive down the roads of Queensland – and they're just they they're more on the twice as many as we have a deer anywhere. Right. Yeah, yeah. Looks like uh, armadillos in spring across West Texas, right? You know, exactly. Literally littering the sides of the highways. Except the difference that an armadillo, you know, is like so tall mm-hmm. um, uh, at best and might blow out a tire. And a, a kangaroo is is a fairly sizable little creature. You know, uh, you know what. We are. Uh, uh, we will go through this silly season, gone to seed kind of thing, right? I mean, you get new members and you get people that have been waiting and holding bills until we get in. I'm sure somewhere out there, I use examples like this to prove a point that I make when people say, "Oh, we don't need lobbyists," you know, we just need everybody. Well, number one, there are that, lobbyists. That would be me, by the way. We don't need right, lobbyists. We just need grassroots. But the truth, and I do believe in grassroots hugely, but the truth of the matter is there is a lobbyist for everything, including the kangaroo lobbyist in the United (laughs) States Congress. You just proved my point. I mean, there literally is somebody that is walking the halls that has a little room pin upon their lapel, you know, and they're trying to speak in a phony Australian accent, you know, like they actually were there once. And somebody paid him to do it. You just, you can't make it up. I know. It, Jay, and so, Jay, Jay, please tell me the guy, please tell me the guy's name, Skippy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it's Cassidy. Cassidy. Hop along, Cassidy. That's who it is. <laughs> uh, Jake, Jake, that'd be quite a good one as well. 
But, um, you know, all this, um, what we're talking about, it, it, it's funny. But it's not funny, is it? It really is not funny. And, and um, you know, we, want, we were all set up to do a great trade deal with our biggest ally. Um, and I'm talking now because, I, obviously, I, I'm beginning to realise that history isn't quite how I saw it. But, you know, the people of this country love Americans. And I think it's a vice versa thing. I think it's a, mm-hmm. it's a mutual yeah. appreciation of, um, of, of sticking up for what's right and making sure that you look after your neighbour and your neighbour's neighbour and your family and everybody looks after each other. And it's something in our DNA. And then um, it really does concern me that right at the last minute, you've, you've elected this guy that, um, you know, he's about as popular well as a, a pig at a bar mitzvah he really is he's, he's it's unbelievable what he's doing to the whole relationship between not just between people within america itself but outside america as well it's just incredible how in 32 days actually mm-hmm. he's been able to achieve so much against the tide of what's right it's right. incredible and, and by the way one guy goes to cancun Right, one Texan governor who probably organized to go to Cancun for his holidays after um after Congress was was out. No, that's not what happened. His daughters okay. wanted to take a, wanted to make a little trip. He simply took his daughters, got them positioned in Cancun, and came back. Okay, yeah. okay, but even it, but we don't know when that was arranged. That's what I mean. But then it's emerged, albeit in you know, I only found it in one. Oh, 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 Andrew, I, I'm not paying attention to my work here. Watch the stand at Paxson County on Netflix. Then we'll let Andrew continue the second half of Roll Route after this. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Lewis alongside Andrew Henderson, who just got rudely interrupted. Jay Truitt, now working. He's actually looking for who could hire him to be the kangaroo lobbyist from Australia. It's uh, this guy yeah. I- I think I know what's in his lobby at the moment. Nobody else does. It's him. It's Andrew. <laughs> Andrew is secretly Skippy. No, no, no. It's not me. Pop yeah. along, Andrew. It's not me. Right. I, I've not got a punch like Skippy. <laughs> but anyway, um, see, seriously. So you were talking about this guy making this trip to Cancun, and then it has emerged yeah. just through one agency, I have to admit this, that 24 congressmen or women have chosen to have their vacation in. Uh, do you want to have a guess, Jay, where it is? Hmm? Pick me. Pick me. Yeah, pick, pick Trent. No, no, I want you to guess, Jay. <laughs> I can't. England? No. Bit more, bit closer to home, Jay. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Why are you housing 24 Democrats down there, Jay? Oh, That's the question come, of the well, day. Listen, they come down here all the time for fundraisers. Oh, right. And, and who organizes that, uh, Jay? Used to be Harry Reid. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Listen, if you catch me organizing a Democratic fundraiser, then I will, I will, uh, uh, I don't know what I'll do, but it'll be something pretty absurd on air with you guys on it. Uh, so let That's me ask you a serious question. Let me ask you, uh, Jay, as a person who has been in the lobbying game for a while, uh, yeah, uh, you're not at all uh, silent about which party you swing with. 
How does that impact you when you are lobbying the left side of the swing? You know, um, so here's the honest-to-goodness truth. Um, most, as long as you are an honest lobbyist, uh-huh. right, you're one of those people that, that purveys honest and fact, fact-based information. Um, people in Washington, D.C. know that they may not like you. I've been cursed out in, in congressional offices uh, and Senate offices because uh, of my history and my resume and other things, right? Um, but the truth of the matter is people, people like to make decisions that don't make them look stupid at the end of the day, most of the time. Um, and the rest of the people, right, you just ignore them. And uh, when you start off on any particular number one, I'm a lobbyist who tends to represent conservative viewpoints. Right. Uh, I would lobby for liberal crap. Right. And I've I've actually <laughs> fired. I've actually fired people that hired me. I fired clients based on the fact that they asked me to do things that I thought were against my basic principles. I understand maybe that makes me a, a lobbyist with principles. Come on. Yeah, it's a little odd. But there's he said he's an honest lobbyist. Yeah, but and so you know, I mean, up until up until the last couple of um, changes of Congress, it's always been possible to find um, plenty of conservatives on the Democrat side of the aisle, or more conservative members, Mm -hmm. not conservatives, but more conservative members. Or, and you mentioned it earlier, the real the real key is to find somebody in that member's district that really needs it done, and to create that grassroots. Uh, concern yourself. And at the end, members of Congress will do what is best for them uh, in most cases, not what is what is best for everyone else. And if it's best for me as your your member of Congress to make you happy, Trent, I will try to make you happy. If I can't, I can't, but I'm going to first try that. Let uh, let me also explain some firsthand experience as I'm headed back to the state capitol this week to testify again um i was there last week and testified <clears throat> i've been there several times i am witnessing that the people who testify get the opportunity to have their voice heard mm-hmm. but the the committee members sitting in that room almost seem like they've already made up their mind based on what they're hearing from their constituents at home yeah. so even no, I'm there not as a lobbyist. I'm there as a concerned citizen because I care about schools. I care about proper funding, not overspending. And I care about the property tax. Those are things that are really top priority for me because I go down there regularly and sit in that chair and testify for three minutes. I somehow think that it doesn't really resonate because they've got 10 people at home are telling something else, which is a good thing. Yeah. It, listen, I will, I, I've said this for, for, uh, uh, I became convinced of this uh, back when we were doing uh, issues that were really tough inside the cattle business, like country of origin labeling, right? Where there's just a clear a divide of what people think was the absolutes that people needed to have. That the, that the power of a constituent can defeat any lobbyist or any influencer in Washington, D.C. Any. I've seen it happen on multiple occasions that I, at one point, when when we were discussing a ban on packer ownership, this is just an example. When the, right. the whole discussion of packer ownership of livestock came up in, in the early 2000s, 
one of the first votes we got was from Dick Durbin of Illinois, one of the most liberal members uh, of, of the Senate body for sure, right? And it was because he was worried that it might affect union packing jobs in his state, which is a which really was a pretty small number at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not even a lot of people. No, he looked he had to look and say, how does this actually impact Illinois? They came to the conclusion that it was going to turn out to be a negative for the people of Illinois. And he voted no. And he actually went to the floor of the Senate and railed against the the issue that was Uh, being raised by his own side of the aisle. Right. And so that those constituents thought about it, made a decision. They had a little vote at some little meeting somewhere. They all called him and he called us to explain what the legislation was really going to do. And he goes, well, that's what my guy said. So I'm with you. And you know what? I didn't believe it, but it happened. There's one exception to what I said. And it just happened in our state capitol last week as well. There's uh, an initiative, and Jay, you're actually the one who brought it to my attention, but it's happening in Nebraska. There's an initiative to create a state inspection, state meat right. inspection program. Right. I did not go testify against it. I'm opposed to it. It, it does not create solutions. It just creates more bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And because the only person who was there in opposition to it, there are 20 people for it, one against it, and the one who was against it was the director of agriculture, the the message was that, well, everybody's for it. So while I think that it's not necessarily important what you say, if you don't have anybody show up opposing or supporting something, that speaks volumes as well. So you still have Absolutely. to go testify, but you also have to get people at home to say, contact your center and let them know what you think. Stacy Bowman's here. I, I will give you a perfect example because in 2007, I went to the state capital of Springfield, Illinois, and testified against banning horse harvesting in Illinois. And mm-hmm. if you didn't show up, they, they're they going to say, well, everybody wasn't for it. And there's always media present in that room. Yeah, 100%. Anything that, you, anything that you say in that testimony, in that con, in that committee meeting, committee hearing, has the potential to impact people through media. So for all of those reasons, you still have to show up. But the grassroots voice is what matters most. It, uh, no, it absolutely does, right? And I, again, I think it, uh, you, you, what the original question you asked me was, is I'm a, I'm a hard right. I'm beyond the right of the GOP for sure, right? I mean, and that, I don't make much of a, a, a secret about that. But how do I actually end up uh, uh, having success on Capitol Hill is exactly how you just described. Because what, there's this belief that somehow or another, everything that we believe in life is on this flat line, right? And you're either far left or far right. But I don't believe that to be the case. I believe it's bent more like a horseshoe. And it's easier to find find people sometimes that are directly across from you on some issues. Like I, uh, I'm also hardcore pro-life, right? I probably have the most extreme pro-life position that you can, that, that you could have Personally, my wife and I don't even completely agree on exactly the nuances of that. But with that said, that doesn't have to be part of the discussion when we're talking about um, what we should do on waters of the U.S. or mm-hmm. over an issue like horse slaughter. Uh, you can you can you can sit down with a horse lover, with a horse lover, and if you have enough time, 
right? The problem is we try to have these conversations in like 20-second sound bites. Yep. And if you have enough time, we can come to some agreement. I can even come to accept some of what they want to do sometimes, you know, and say, okay, well, listen, the truth is maybe we shouldn't just, uh, uh, we shouldn't be sending horses down to Mexico and turn them into car ponies so that they can suffer an extraordinarily long, painful death, right? That's not the right solution either on that particular issue. It's just use that one. But yeah. the truth of the matter is you also can't, horses don't live forever. Ta-da! There's a revelation of news. Andrew? I'm listening. In England, they do. I hear some very positive things here that Jay is telling us that in the end, what the the majority of people, the the citizens want, the Congress and the House have to listen to. And if if that's what we're going to see happen over the next uh, three years or whatever it is, then I'm looking forward to that immensely because right at this moment, the opposite is definitely happening. Yeah, well, and that is a direct result of complacency because that grassroots person has not shown up. Yeah, no, well, that, you know, that's sorry. That I'm is sorry to disappoint both of you, but that's not Andrew. true either. You're right about that, Trent. Those people have voted; they just haven't no. been listened to. You keep it's saying, not not up. "Yeah, Andrew, it's not enough though, just a vote." I mean, uh, and so some places it is right. But if you're going to just vote and then turn over that vote to somebody to do what they want to do for the next uh, 24 months or six years, then you're kidding yourself. Uh, I I don't don't think you're wrong. about. I I think you're right about that. That, that, You got to engage. But listen to this. So they're they're your vice president and president were telling everybody that they would sort out student debt. And, you know, within... They're now saying they're not going to do anything about student debt. So it's going to be very interesting to see how the people that thought they voted for that react to the fact that what they thought they voted Mm. for, they're not going to get. Maybe the grassroots people spoke loud enough that they know we don't want them to mess with student debt. Let each student take care of their own debt. They created it. Find a way to make it up. Pay it off. It is Roll Route. We are through three segments. We've got one segment left before I let you go. I want to remind you that we are talking about efficient food production and we talk about carbon emissions and all of those other things. We can no longer take a chance on genetics. We need to know exactly how we create the most efficient animal possible. Looking at the genomics of those animals before you multiply them is absolutely essential. We do it with every boar we use. We do it with every calf we produce. I suggest that you look into a DNA profile for the animals, the parent stock anyway. And people are even testing their pets, crazy as that may seem. More details about shining a light on your genetic future at Neogen.com. Last segment of Rural Routes right after this. Welcome back to Roll Route, Trent Lewis alongside Rule Breaker Jay Truett, trying to talk about the topic during the break, Andrew Henderson. <laughs> not me, not guilty. Although, I want to just raise the, the temperature a little bit, Jay. All right. Tell me about this uh, potential new Attorney General, okay? Because uh, I'd like to have your views on this particular individual. And alongside that, your very knowledgeable news uh, views on what this might mean for the Durham report that I believe may fall within the next week or so. And does Durham, if there is a new attorney general, does Durham have the power to uh, arrest people based on his findings 
as a special uh, on his special assignment. What's your view on all that, please? So, first of all, I think the attorney general's in real trouble on the Hill, um, even from a, even from their own party. And I think they're going to probably fall short of the votes for confirmation. But that's it's probably a little bit early to guess that. Right. We'll see if they can rescue themselves somewhere within this whole process. But you, uh, so let's begin with. Uh, the fact that I think probably the nominee has proven to be a political hack in the past and will be a political hack in the future, right? I don't think there's much question about that. I do think that the department um, will be operated a much more like a political entity uh, instead of as a, uh, simply as a justice entity. That, I, and, and I don't think... I don't think that people are going to be surprised by that. I mean, that's the expectation. Probably the real issue is, is that you have a candidate this time that has a real clear public record in Washington, D.C. for legislation and, and, um, and uh, policies that they've actually supported in the past, which are way over the edge, right, and, and get to be pretty extreme. So, I mean, I think there's – We'll see how it actually plays out, but I think there's going to be some trouble inside their own camp. We may see another name pop up here soon. Um, on the on the whole Durham thing, man, I wouldn't uh, uh, listen. I wouldn't count on anything resulting from that other than a report being filed and it put in the third filing cabinet on the seventh floor at the end Ooh. of the hall, second from the left, and somebody will pull it out at some point. I do think. I do think, though, and this is actually could be a big win for us. The Democrats keep handing the GOP uh, folks wins uh, in the future uh, that they can bank on. And the fact that a judge ruled yesterday that not only can Trump's tax returns be be uh, uh, be brought into the court and be investigated, right, that he has to actually provide them. It's more than that. What came out in that ruling was that all the financially supporting documents, all of their bank statements and everything else that goes into that business um, can be brought in because there is a suspicion that somehow or another that something fraudulent happened. Well, you've got just in the case right now that is going to come up, uh, I think, on like the 5th or 6th of March um, before the Supreme Court inside the Powell and, and Wood uh, filings, there is the assertion that there is connections to members of Congress and Dominion. That's going to come out in disclosure, isn't it? Right. And say they're all going to say, oh, well, we filed our ta- we provided our taxes for you in our financial filing report. No, 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 Ms. Feinstein, Feinstein and Ms. Pelosi, that's not enough. Now we want to see all of it. And there is a precedent has been set to provide all that supporting information. All your family can be drug in, let alone Hunter Biden. And that's in a court outside of the political process. And I right. think it turns out to be like one of, I bet somebody in the Biden camp, one of his lawyers is bound to be shaking his head going, stop New York prosecutor. Just stop right now. Mm-hmm. This is the last thing that we need 
is for somebody to be able to demand a court, find a judge anywhere in the United States that'll say, no, sir, you have to give all that information up because no, we I don't think, believe it. I think you're right. I think I, I knew that as well. Um, yeah. I'm not on the same page as we, with you on Durham, but I see that as well. And I see that that what happened to Mike Lindell yesterday. He's had a 1.3 billion uh, court case from Do- Dominion are now going to have to be looked at. And don't forget in New Hampshire, 34 to 0 state legislators have now won that Maricopa County is going to have to have their machines audited before that event. I'm pretty sure that they've been trying to stop that because the machines show some very dodgy uh, apparatus within them. So I think you're right. It's all going to come to the the top of the tree. And that's the point I'm trying to make to you that um, I've said to you all along, I know you have a different view on me on me with this, but if it does turn out that the information that Mike Lindell had uh, that's, that no court has looked at yet, as we we all agree, no. if it turns out that that was given to him by the military, I'm going to be very interested to see where that leaves the government in the United States of America. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I do agree with that. I, yeah. uh, what, I, what I said about the Durham report, though, I still, I still think that in the end, um, the decision to prosecute is not his. Who's in it? it? Uh, it becomes, I, I can't tell you exactly where, but somewhere in that upper echelon of DOJ. But don't, don't forget that when Flynn was prosecuted, the reason that uh, Sidney Powell represented him was because of her military expertise. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm saying. Where does the, what is the jurisdiction here? Because at the end of the day, we are talking again, potentially, about something this is a foreign power interfering in your government. So, yeah. and if we talk about Ukraine and, and China, which is, you know, the Hunter Biden thing, I, and even Kamala Harris is in, implicated in all this. Once yeah. all that comes out, I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see where the jurisdiction of that is, whether it's in. Uh, the one I'm most interested in is Pelosi's financial information, because I've had friends in Nevada and different places tell me forever that her husband and her husband's family get contract deals with the government left and right. That needs mm-hmm. to be disclosed. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I, I personally think that you're going to find that uh, Trumpy Pumpy is as clean as a whistle. Yeah, I think it's it's clean be, and I, and I, you know, financially. Yeah. 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 I think what he'll be fine. Trent? What? Do you think so as well, Trent? Or what you're, what yeah, you're absolutely. I, I have no concern whatsoever that he's financially, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Corrupt. Yeah, because I don't, with the sort of money he Compromised. He has, That's the word I was looking for. With the money that he's generated over the years, why mm-hmm. why would he bother to try and you know uh, squirrel away a, the, uh, a couple of million? You know that's you know? something I've never understood, though, Andrew. You show me somebody with accumulated wealth, and mm-hmm. it seems like there's never enough. They they just continually want more, and most of the major corruption in the world was accomplished by wealthy people. Well, that that's a, you you talk about a very very good. Um, that seems to be repeated worldwide. But I just have a feeling that somebody that decides they want to be the president of the United States mm-hmm. and gives up their salary and huge has a huge reduction in their own personal wealth 
I think he's done it for. He didn't do it for the money. Think he is that. He isn't yeah. that individual. He's not that. He's not like that. He, he doesn't. Uh, need meanwhile, to be I just want pork bellies to stay up to pay for the soybean meal cost. That's all I want. I just want. I just want to be able to buy pork bellies. <laughs> I, I can I ship you dollar, pork bellies, maybe. <laughs> I just want the dollar to stay high so I can go to um, United States of America as soon as this <laughs> pandemic is over, and uh, and then and then toodle off to the Caribbean and what, and, what, what, and wait a minute. To, Sorry? How's the pandemic going to be over when the people who determine it's over are corrupt? Oh, um, sorry, you don't. You're not listening to your government. Your government is already saying right. April. April is going to be the end yes. of the pandemic. But, but your your uh, uh, your uh, your guy said yesterday that at least through June or July, right, that you are going to be in in shutdown. I think it is interesting that. What have we seen fall Jay, off? Jay, the... we're not in shutdown, mate. It's a complete fallacy. Nobody's, you know, this is what I'm saying. You, you hear stuff. When I look, we are not in proper lockdown at all. Everybody's free to go wherever they want in any vehicle. No police are stopping anybody going anywhere. It's uh, no, just... that's not true. I read it in the, I read it in the press. <laughs> <laughs> CNN <laughs> reported. No, that, was good. that was good. Well, I'm sat here, and I can tell you, I haven't even got my certificate with me because the last time somebody stopped me for the certificate was when I went to Scotland. Nobody stops anybody from doing anything and going anywhere. It is a complete ruse. Ruse. It's yeah. not real. Um, and I, I also want to just tell you, I, I, I know quite a few people working in the, um, in, the, in the hospitals, and the hospitals now are not getting the cases they were getting. It's just, yeah. you know, it's... People are beginning to realize. Are you still are you still seeing um, the uh, the like the daily COVID death rate reported at the top of every one of your your news sites? There though, no, because when when Beijing Biden got elected, everybody towed the line. We're all playing the same game. We crossed five we crossed five hundred thousand deaths in the United States, uh, according to their. According to their numbers, right? Which I think there's even some question, a lot of questions about how that accounting has been done. But we we crossed five hundred thousand, which is a big milestone. Yesterday, it barely made the news. Well, <laughs> Beijing Biden did did have a some form of um, event to to mark that. But you are right. Um, what I'd like to know is, in the same time, how many people would normally have died of um, respiratory problems in the USA? Right. That's the figure I'd want to know. Yeah. Um, and I think that people well, are starting to ask that question. I, I, I can answer that for you. Last year, we had 3.1 million people die in the United States. In 2019, we had 3 million people die in the United States. What else do you need to know? And, what's, and what is it in 2020? What's the total? You know? 3.1. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, uh, Statistically, I, it was no different. Yeah. In 2020 to 2019. I don't know if well, I said the right numbers, but I, yeah. I think the interesting thing for Beijing Biden is that there's going to be an increase now because we have been neglecting people with very, very uh, with chronic diseases like cancer, like mm-hmm. heart disease, etc. And I think you are going to see a big increase. And that's your fact. When he isn't showing you all the figures, Jay, it's going to be very interesting because the actual national national statistics, both in the UK and the US, are going to go way up. Because of neglect, 
neglect the clock we cannot do we've successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban america jay truett andrew henderson trent loose all three of us reminding you that all roads do lead to a rural route somewhere other than puerto rico or it's a toasty 80 